Welcome to the Awakening Podcast. You can find all our episodes on awakeningpodcast.org. We're also on YouTube. Some of my episodes are on YouTube, my personal channel, because I got removed from my uh, Awakening channel. And I've got four other podcasts, the Meditation Podcast, the Speaking Podcast, Learn Polish, and the Crypto, as well as being a podcasting coach. You'll find everything on bio.link forward slash podcaster. Today, my guest, he's back for the third time. And the reason being is because I love what he's doing. And he has basically, he's been on episode 155, episode 163, and today is an update. So there's a lot of people actually that have followed this. Scott, Sarah, did I, please welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks a lot, Roy. It's really good to be here. So I suppose I'll just start off first because I know you've started your own podcast. Uh, you've had some amazing guests, uh, Mickey Willis, who actually introduced me to you. And you've had uh, Carrie Madej, Dr. Carrie Madej, Dr. Artist, uh, Alex Newman. So first of all, congratulations. And it's you've got fantastic guests. So I wish you super success with that. And you're actually... I love the way that you're actually doing it because a lot of the time you're kind of, you have a guest on, but you're actually showing some of the documentation that you've got, which you're actually sharing. And sometimes you're highlighting it because with our previous uh, interviews, one of the things was you're so well organized. You're incredible how well organized you are, which in turn, I think is allowing you to fight this better, but also you're sharing stuff with everybody that allows them to do the same thing. So I just commend you on that. Well, God gave me that gift. I mean, I can't take credit for it. I was born that way. And I um, uh, I never thought it would be used for this. That's for sure. I I just thought it was to be used to run run a business to take care of my daughter after I was was gone. And obviously, she's not here. So God had other plans. And that's uh, so I'm thankful to have that gift. And it's it's really um, it's been quite a blessing. I mean, the research that I've been able to do and organize it, it's it's fantastic. So I suppose uh, you might just give a quick synopsis of uh, the whole thing, because do, especially for those that are listening right. for the first time. So my daughter, Grace, had Down syndrome. Uh, she was just a, a just, just an unbelievable blessing. You know, as I look back at things now, you realize that this agenda was in place way back. I mean, when she was born, even so she was born on uh, September 22nd of 2002. And when she came out, I was in the room and I thought, well, I think she has Down syndrome. We had never done any of the testing. Uh, Grace was never vaccinated, not, nothing. You know? So anyway, the so I said that to my wife and the doctors came in a couple hours later and said, we suspect your daughter has Down syndrome. Do you want to keep her? And, you know, now I'm awake. So, of course, they weren't talking about aborting her then. But, you know, I don't know exactly what they're talking about now that I understand what's going on. Were they talking about uh, having somebody adopt her? Were they talking about um, her being involved with child trafficking? What was it? You know, regardless, we said, of course, you know, what are you even talking about? You know, we're, of course, we're going to keep her. Uh, the attitude that you wouldn't want a Down syndrome child was there. And, you know, that has become part of the mission that I'm on is to expose this banality of evil 
towards the disabled, towards the el elderly, and really towards the entire population. And, you know, it was shown to me then. I didn't realize what was going on then, of course. So then you fast forward to October 13th of 2021. That was the last, Grace's last day on this earth. And she was murdered that day. The day started with the doctor calling Cindy and I, uh, telling us how great of a day Grace had yesterday, which we knew my daughter Jessica was there with her. I had been taken out by an armed guard three days earlier. And so he said, we should start working on nutrition. Well, interesting, when you look at the sequence of events, they had no intention of working on nutrition. They had intention of freeing up that bed, somebody more profitable. And the reason I say that with confidence is we rejected his request that morning for the fifth time to for a pre-authorization to put Grace on a ventilator. And after the fact, as I researched the money trail, I found out a ventilator is about a $300,000 payday for the hospital. So anyway, that day, then they they strapped her down to the bed, made her go to the bathroom in the bed while my daughter was gone for an hour. They used that as an excuse to increase a sedation med that we were unaware of that's only supposed to be used for 24 hours. They already had her on it for four days. They increased it to 14 times the dose from four days ago. Uh, they gave her lorazepam on top of that, morphine on top of that. They put an illegal do not resuscitate order on her. And you know, 11 and a half hours after we had the conversation with the doctor in the morning, saying how great of a day Grace had the day before, she was dead. Uh, we watched her die on FaceTime. Um, you know, it's it's so, so egregious, you know, but you know, people can, the details of the story, of course, you can go back to the podcast that uh, Roy referenced. Uh, her story is on our website, ouramazinggrace.net, so you can look at the details there. But that at least gives you a... a a short introduction to uh, what happened to Grace. You know, what's happened since then, uh, you know, I did an awful lot of research. It, I had about 500 hours of research in before I finally connected the dots and I would say confidently she was murdered. You know, before that, I wasn't saying the word murdered because I didn't know. But there's so many details, you know, once you dig into the records that you can't come up with another conclusion. Well, then that led to okay, why is, you know, God gave me a researcher's heart. I start digging into what, what is, what's going on here? Why did this happen? And that led to researching genocide. That led to researching the Holocaust. In the research of the Holocaust, God opened up another door, which was Vera Sheriff. So her and I have done about 25 interviews together. She's a Holocaust survivor. She really shared the the broader view of what's what's happening and yeah that helped i've me actually really... interviewed vera and she was yeah. removed okay. she she was one of the ones on my personal channel it got removed from youtube i mean they're afraid of an 84 year old holocaust survivor exactly yeah i mean it's they're what they're afraid of is that <clears throat> this gets out and you know what i have found is you know the narrative right now and the counter narrative is focused on the vaccine where you know i'm, I'm jumping way ahead here, but I see what you know. They they don't want to lose uh, in the the bigger picture. They don't want to lose the in, entire vaccine narrative, and so you know what's going to happen with that. Of course, you know people are waking up to the vaccine. There's a lot more vaccine hesitancy. My suspicion is they will sacrifice the current uh, bioweapon. I shouldn't even call it a vaccine. It's a bioweapon. Uh, because they they want to implement a, a much bigger vaccine uh, agenda. And, you know, so the hospital lane that I'm in doesn't get the traction. And think about why. 
if people knew, so Grace's case, you know, at first I think, okay, this is an anomaly. But as you dig you, and then you see, oh my gosh, the United States is number one on the planet with hospital killings, 1.1 million. And number two is India, less than half. And India's population is four times that of the United States. So this doesn't make any sense. And you you connect the dots and you realize they are literally murdering people. And if every single person in the country knew that hospitals were murdering, this whole thing would come, the whole house of cards would come tumbling down. So that's why this hospital lane doesn't get the traction. You know, they they already have figured out how to transition out of the vaccine um, problems, but this hospital killings, people can't wrap their heads around it. So if, if this got out into the mainstream media, the whole thing would be over. So anyway, as I progressed, you know, so now, you know, meet Vera, we do a bunch of interviews together. I'm really digging into Agenda 2030 and then coming to grips with this is a massive spiritual satanic Hegel dialectic agenda. And that's that's really where the research has gone. I've drilled down some real fine points as to how they have pulled this off so that people can become awake. And uh, that's what I want to go through today. And I mean, because there was one of the emails, I think you actually had an attachment, it was called uh, hospitals, the killing fields. And I know personally of a few people that they were killed and their partners are convinced that they were killed in different countries around the world, in Poland, in the UK and in Ireland, you know, and obviously we know a lot in the USA as well. And uh, like one one of the guests that you've on, Greta Crawford, uh, her uh, like with the remdesivir, I think that's important to, if we touch on that because I've heard so much about that and we know it's toxic, yet they're still pumping it into people. Where people don't, don't understand, they we have been lulled to sleep again. You know, we've, heard, we've been lulled to sleep for, for decades. That's how this all happened. But I mean, just short-term, people have such a short-term memory. So, you know, President Biden on September 19th said the pandemic is over. Of course, uh, it, you know, they had no intention of it being over. On the anniversary of Grace's death, which was October 13th of 2022, they re-upped the public health emergency just three weeks later. And the public health emergency just was re-upped again on January 11th last week. And the significance of re-upping the public health emergency is that it continues the bonus payments to hospitals to follow these killing protocols, which are mainly remdesivir and ventilators. And in addition to that, if the hospitals follow that protocol, they have immunity from liability under the PREP Act. And so we have actual experience with this. It isn't it isn't um, speculation. On November 5th, my wife and I rescued a, a man out of a, a local hospital in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh, the His sister had got a hold of my cell, no, cell number from a friend of a friend because we have billboards up locally. So, you know, everybody knows about Grace's story. And ultimately she called and asked if I would help. And, you know, it's... Um, so I asked her, what's going on? And she said, well, my brother is disabled. He just went into the hospital with COVID. And, you know, to my surprise, I told her, I'm going to, I'm going to sound like a whack job when I tell you this, but they're going to try to kill him. And she was surprisingly receptive. And, you know, ultimately uh, they had given him already three doses of remdesivir when my wife and I 
were able well they we robert who was the man we we were able to rescue he asked me to come in through his sister the morning of november 5th we went we were there a half hour later and uh, about 11 hours after that we physically removed him from the hospital and he's alive today and you know interestingly greta and laura the ones who were just on the podcast you referenced they were instrumental in helping because I had never done a hospital rescue. So I had called Greta, she coached me, and then Laura gave me the documentation that I needed. And uh, it was quite a fiasco uh, to get him out. And, you know, ultimately we did get him out and, you know, Grace's death is not in vain. If Grace would not have died, Robert Pazer would not be alive. And uh, that is a real life story that uh, just was a couple months ago where they were administering remdesivir to kill him. Interestingly, the doctor told him, uh, you have COVID, which is also suspect because a half hour before he even went to the hospital, they him and his mother tested themselves for, for COVID. They tested negative. They go to the hospital. They both test positive. Um, but they have a goal to test you positive because once you're tested positive, all the protocols and the bonuses take over. The doctor told him, you, know, you have COVID. The good news is we have a, an antiviral that most of my patients are great in three days. Some of them are even better in two days. And that antiviral was remdesivir. And remdesivir has a 75% kill rate, three doses and more. So that's complete insanity. The doctor completely lied for money to accomplish an agenda. The hospitals have become literally arms of the government. So that's what's going on. It's still and, going and on And just today. for those in the UK, because I have a high percent, I think it's medaz medazolan is the one yes. that they're using in the UK. Ex exactly. I have uh, another door that opened up as I was able to talk at length and multiple follow-ups with Kate Shamarani from the UK. And Kate is doing really the same thing that I'm doing in the UK, but she's she's light years ahead of me because she's already been working on this for a couple of years and she's exposing what I'm exposing in the United States. And it's, you know, she's doing fantastic work in the, in the UK, they're euthanizing 2000 people a day. And in the United States, it's about a thousand people a day. Uh, in the UK, it's more exposed in the United States. United States has a great way of hiding their sin. Uh, as a country, we always project our sin to all the other countries and we're, we're the do-gooders, but you know, we're, we're in on all of this. In fact, we started just about all the uh, nefarious things that are going on. So um, the first thing I'd like to cover, Roy, in detail is this public health emergency um, gives the authority for the Health and Human Services Secretary to do some things that uh, you can't make up. And one of them happened on November 23rd. So as as we were researching, I say we because I, I, I was so busy, I asked Robert Pazer, the man that we rescued, if he'd help me research this. Because Kate pointed me to, Scott, there's got to be a smoking gun in the U.S. where they're going to have euthanasia. And Robert uncovered this document uh, that the Health and Human Services Secretary approved on November 23rd, the day before Thanksgiving, and then it got filed on Thanksgiving Day. So even that is nefarious because the entire press, of course, is gone. So it doesn't get reported. As far as I can tell, I'm the only one that's reporting this. And so what he did is he approved a charter for the, I'm reading this, it's called the Medicare Evidence Development and Coverage Advisory Committee, MedCAC for short. So MedCAC became a new death panel, and I'm going to connect the dots with that. 
go rewind all the way back to March of 2010. That's when Obamacare was passed. The chief architect for Obamacare was Ezekiel Emanuel, and his his um, version and and the underlying methodology with Obamacare is really summarized in this quote. And he said all the way back in 1996 quote, services provided to individuals who are irreversibly prevented from being or becoming participating citizens are not basic and should not be guaranteed. Well, that's euthanasia. So people like Grace, who was who are disabled, they're not a contributing member to society, so they should be euthanized. So then there was this whole death panel uproar and Congress stopped the death panels back in 2018. Well, they didn't slay the whole dragon. They just cut off one head. And the Health and Human Services Secretary right now has unilateral power under the public health emergency to do these type of things. And so this document that he that he signed specifically calls for uh, deciding which medical items and services are reasonable and necessary or otherwise covered for Medicare beneficiaries under Title 18 of the Social Security Act. So when I read that, you would first say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not a Medicare beneficiary, but it does apply to you. And I'm going to explain why. Roughly five and a half years ago, I was diagnosed with heart disease. In that process, they're trying to get me on X, Y, and Z. I refused them all. I started researching heart disease and found out what the cause of it was and started a protocol to, to get to the root cause. So then one of the nurses pulled me aside and said, Scott, I want to tell you something you're not going to want to hear. And so what she told me, she said, the reason we are pushing these meds on you is we have to. She said, our Medicare and Medicare, Medicaid and Medicare reimbursement rates are dependent on what percentage of our patient population we get to follow the protocols dictated by Medicare and Medicaid. So this applies to the entire United States, whether you're on Medicare, Medicaid, no insurance, private insurance. If you go to any facility that accepts Medicare and Medicaid, you are now subject to the new death panel that was put in place on November 23rd. So this is huge news. This is the legal euthanasia that Kate inspired me to research to figure I'm, out where is I'm the And just on that, I believe in Canada, it's called MADE. Yes, so I ha I actually put up a video. There was a guy that was interviewed. He had some back problems and he was basically his rent was increasing or his landlord was actually um, selling the property. And he said he couldn't afford to move somewhere else. The doctor signed that he could get euthanasia because he was afraid he would be homeless. And I mean, it was so sad to look at. But So it just shows it's not a case of kind of mercy killing if somebody is like on you know not not much longer to live rather than suffering which that's what they kind of go by but this is actually population control and it's to make what's interesting is the, the all, all this stuff is you the planning that they have done to make all this happen is it's hard to wrap your head around um so it, when covid first started there were 62 million Americans on Medicare and Medicaid. Um, by March, so a month and a half, it's projected that there will be 100 million. So through COVID, there was roughly a 40 million 
person increase in Medicare and Medicaid recipients. And so how did that happen? Well, they relaxed the standards, used COVID as the excuse. Well, why they relax the standards? Well, because they want more people on it, not because of the votes. You know, everybody that gets something for free votes the way they want, but they don't need the votes anymore. They've already rigged the elections. So why did they do it? Because they want to, to implement this um, this new death protocol, this new euthanasia protocol. So now you have a hundred million, that's a third of the population in the United States that's on public insurance. Uh, so, I mean, you can see, you can see this if you're, if you're looking, thankfully God's opened my eyes to see these things. Uh, you know, so what people would wonder, Roy, is, you know, how is this even possible? And I, I would like to dive into that if that's okay right now. Yes, of course. Yeah. So <clears throat> what's going on? And again, you look at the planning that, that went into place for this to happen. So how would the Health and Human Services Secretary be given unlimited lateral power? How can this even happen? And fortunately, there's people who are significantly smarter than me that have dug into this. And one of them is Catherine Watts. She's a constitutional law researcher, and she strung together a series of congressional acts over the last 50 years that set up the framework for the whole public health emergency. So public health emergency law was added to the national emergency uh, idea under the constitution through congressional actions. So once that got in place, it set the stage for exactly what they did with COVID. I'm going to walk through exactly what they did so people can connect the dots. So now they through crossing the T's and dotting the I's over the last 50 years, they set up the public health emergency framework. So now for that framework to be implemented, the health and human services secretary determines if a public health emergency is necessary. So on January 31st, 2020, the public, the Health and Human Services Secretary determined, yes, we're going to have a public health emergency relative to COVID. This is the same. So they have to renew this by law every 90 days. They just renewed it again, January 11th. So now we're 36 months in to the same public health emergency. Then on February 4th, the secretary determined that there is a, quote, public health emergency that has significant potential to affect national security and authorize the, the PREP Act. That's the act that allows immunity from liability for following protocols dictated by the government. Okay, so now that we have the PREP Act and we have the public health emergency in place, that sets the, the, the stage for the FDA to, quote, strengthen public health protections with emergency use authorizations. So most people have heard of emergency use authorizations. So what they did right out of the right out of the shoot is they approved ventilators under an EAU. And you remember President Trump said we have a ventilator shortage. Everybody in the whole planet thought ventilators were a tool for COVID. Well ventilators have a 90% kill rate and they're still using them. Okay, so I mean, it, it's it's crazy, but it is approved and there's immunity from liability under what I just told you. Okay, so now what's next? They approve drugs like remdesivir. Okay, so the the drugs that were used, so it, it, the requirement is an EAU may be issued only if the FDA concludes there is no adequate approved 
or alternative to the product for diagnosing, preventing, or treating the disease or condition. So now we had two alternatives. We had ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. And through a series of nefarious acts, they squashed the studies. The government squashed the studies on both ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine so that they could get remdesivir approved under an EAU. And they extended the EAU in April of 2022 to anybody over 28 days old. I mean, you can't make this up. And then the final nail on the coffin was when the FDA issued emergency use authority for the vaccine bioweapon at the end of 2020. So through the series of laws, FDA has legally, not morally, but legally authorized the murder of U.S. citizens. If every citizen in the States knew what I just said, this thing would be over. This is the, now it even gets worse. So I want to give a, a very pointed example uh, of, of the reality of this situation. But Roy, do you have any questions first? No, no, it's uh, it's fascinating. Just to keep going. It's uh, it's yeah, it's very relevant. So the example I want to give you is the Brooke Jackson case. So Jackson worked for Pfizer. Uh, she decided to become a whistleblower on January 8th of 2021. She filed a false claims act lawsuit against Pfizer, stating that Pfizer defrauded the government because they deliberately withheld crucial information from the United States that calls the safety and efficacy of their vaccine into question. Okay, so that seems that's a great lawsuit, right? Pfizer's defense was the government knew there were no clinical trials, so they could not defraud the government. It's impossible because they knew. And they produced what's called an other transaction authority contract with the Department of Defense that showed exactly this. So then you think, okay, what is going on here? Well, so then is this true or false? Well, on October 4th of 2022, so remember this case was filed January 8th of 2021. This is the one of the major problems with lawsuits. It takes forever to get justice. And then will you even get justice? And, and this shows how nefarious it is. So on October 4th, 2022, so this is just three months ago, the United States government came to Pfizer's defense. And in the statement of interest supporting dismissal of the amended complaint, so the United States is on board asking the court to dismiss the case against Pfizer. So they wrote a brief. It's it's uh, several pages long, about 15 pages long. I'm quoting out of the brief. It says the complaint does not plead factual content to support a conclusion that compliance with the clinical trial protocol or regulations was necessary under the contract between Pfizer and the Army. So, of course, that's why they're saying it should be thrown out. There's no claim here because the contract said they only had to produce a prototype. They weren't even contracted to produce a vaccine. It was just a prototype, which, of course, as we know now, is a is a bioweapon. So, you know, the conclusion is Pfizer was given authority to create a prototype, not a vaccine, as a countermeasure uh, under a military contract. I mean, now I'm going to say my favorite phrase again. You can't make this up. So anyway, this is, again, Roy, if everybody knew this, first of all, they you have to have this rattle through your brain. It's very hard for me to accept this. When I read this, I thought, is this true? You know, it takes a while because it's so out there. But then, okay, yeah, I mean, it's in writing. I, I I had the document, you know, the the literal document. I read the entire document and I I read for you the, the major smoking gun, of course. So if everybody knew this, this whole thing would be over. 
And a lot of people, they they don't believe a lot of the information that, you know, people like ourselves are giving out there, but they believe in karma. So they actually tell you everything you're doing as well. And yeah. like there's times like you can actually find on the NIH uh, website where they're saying this was a complete fraud and everything they've done, but it's hidden. You have to search it. Yeah. So it like it, all this information is there. But as you, as, as you said, if everybody knew they'd actually, it would end immediately. But what happens is unfortunately those that are like brainwashed by CNN, BBC and all the other corrupt channels and media, they attack the likes of us because they think we've the tinfoil hats on instead of actually just looking at the information because you you're doing a brilliant job you're giving all the documentation and i mean if people subscribe to your your list as well like you're constantly giving all the documentation you're not hiding anything you're sharing so which in turn is allowing a lot more people to actually you know have the proof when they're giving their statements on this yeah i'm trying to make it so that it's not my opinion Opinion. You know, of course, you have very strong opinions on this, but I want it to be objective because I think that's part of the believability factor. And early on in Grace's case, that's why I, I put the research into her death on the website, which that's on the training tab. Um, and as as I've been going, I keep posting the new research and you know, we're updating the website multiple times a week because that's how dynamic this this fight is. And with the, because I saw something as well, Wisconsin Supreme case, that's something that's, was it yesterday it was happening? You might give us an update on what that's about. Yep. Sure. That was on the days ago. Uh, that was quite an intense case. I mean, we won't know the, the decision for 30 to 90 days because, you know, what the process is, is they they have this open testimony. To me, it was kind of like a dog and pony show because, it's only an hour. So the, the plaintiff gets 25 minutes, the defense gets 30 minutes, then the plaintiff gets five minutes to rebut. And most of the time was interruptions by the justices asking questions. So, I mean, it was fine, but I mean, the, the case, if it's decided on its merits, um, is a slam dunk. So just to give people a perspective, uh, what happened is, is a man by the name of John, uh, uh, I can't pronounce his name, but we'll just call him John for now. Uh, Zingzheim. Uh, he he went into the hospital with COVID. Almost immediately, they put him on remdesivir uh, against the family's wishes and then on a ventilator. Unbelievably, he was in the hospital for 10 months on a ventilator for a hundred days uh, family snuck him in ivermectin he's alive today he's you know it's a slow recovery but he's actually alive well you know the family through the the nephew who was part of attorney um, wanted to legally get him ivermectin so they petitioned the circuit court and the circuit court ruled in favor of the family and you know so then you know, the, the hospital said, no, we're not doing this. And the, the circuit court said, no, you are doing this. And, you know, ultimately the hospital appealed that decision and said, you know, it doesn't meet our standard of care. And the appellate court went along with the hospital. So then thankfully the Supreme Court was willing to hear the case. So this is really a case of whose rights prevail. If there's a dispute between the hospital and the patient is do the patient's rights trump the hospital or do the hospital's rights trump the patient you know i can't even believe we have this as a case you know how can you know, isn't the patient always in control you know but uh 
the the defense in the case you know their defense is the hospital standard of care is is the gold standard and unfortunately through the questions of several of the justices i saw that they were not awake so one of the justices for example brought up that um well we we're, we trust the doctor they're following the hippocratic oath and so obviously she got awake to the reality that the doctors are not following the hippocratic oath anymore um you know but if, if you just look at the merits of the case it's real simple um a, you know, by state statute, a patient has a right to care, he has a right to deny care, um, and he has a right to choose care. And so it, it's statutory. And so it, it's very clear what the result should be. But you know, uh, going to court is not necessarily a pursuit of truth. It's it's oftentimes a crapshoot. And um, Supreme Court in Wisconsin is conservative with a 4-3 majority, but um oftentimes the justices are flip-flopping so uh you know it's it's a fairly significant case because it has national ramifications you know if if the supreme court decides that the hospital's standard of care is more important than the patient's choice you know the standard of care they've adopted is what i've been explaining and it's going to get worth it's going to be a, a literal euthanasia standard of care so i mean it's a it's a huge case because of of the facts that i've been laying out and just which courts because i mean i've had a, over a hundred court cases myself both in poland and ireland and just witnessed total corruption i mean it wasn't about medical it was more property and stuff like that and i had a guest on yesterday just released the episode today and basically they were evicting everybody in ireland like nobody was winning this guy won because he was able to prove that all the judges or their partners were actually in debt as well. And that's why they were going along with the banks. So he got judges to step, step down from the case when he was there. And the next guy came in and just tried to attack him, got him to step down. So like that should never happen, but that's international. And normally when you've got yes. the government changing, the top judges change as well, which how can that be something? It, has, it should have right. nothing to do with politics. You know, it should be totally separate. So, I mean, I know that you kind of have to know what you're doing going in there. But at the end of the day, unfortunately, one, they're kicking it down the road that sometimes something that could be resolved in a day takes a year and a half, which is sad. But like, just finally, because I, I, I know that you're, you're doing a load of different things. But what I want to just touch on is you've got a I do not consent form, which I think you share as well, which... Like, I think things like yeah. that are actually helpful, but is it because it's like, I don't consent to you give me rendezvous or midazolam and different things. I don't want you to jab me with all your toxins and things like that for something like that. Do you have to get it notarized? And are you putting a copy on the bed where they normally have like the board of all the different things? So, so a, a nurse can come in and just say, oh, I didn't know anything about that. So you might just touch on that please sure yeah so we have links on grace's website the urgent tab there's a hospital hotline uh, that links to the ladies that i did the podcast on earlier week and so all the forms are there but ultimately um so it, it's called the medical consent form. and so does it have to be notarized no but it would be way better to have 
this form prepared while you're healthy before you get to the hospital, have it all notarized, and then uh, physically uh, have it delivered by a courier service so that there's proof of delivery. You know, so those would be, you know, literally crossing the T's and dotting the I's, you know, how it played out in the Robert Pazer rescue that I referenced on November 5th is that uh, Laura Bartlett, who was on the podcast, she emailed me the form. Uh, I swung into a credit union on the way to the hospital and got it printed. And so then we walked through the form, myself and his sister as power of attorney with with Robert, even though he your dad, he was, he's a very smart guy. Uh, and he could acknowledge everything. So then we, we did the power of attorney signatures on the form. Uh, we physically gave it to the doctor. We read it to the doctor and gave it to him. He refused to take it from us. So then we ended up giving it to the nurse. Uh, what I would tell you, the most important piece of this is that the form by itself does nothing you have to be strong. So even after we gave the form, had the meeting with the doctor, so he knew the gig was up. Uh, four minutes after that, the nurse came in the room with a uh, flu COVID vaccine and the flu, and that was right on the form. So, I mean, the form does nothing on its own. You have to advocate as if your life depended on it. And, you know, most people uh, tend to, to, to offend and this is not the time to have that type of attitude. You have to go in with the attitude that I am here to save um, this patient's life. And, you know, fortunately, that's that's my personality. And um, but, you know, so I don't want you to rely on the form. The main thing that you can do is change your belief. So if you go into a hospital believing it's the way you thought it was as a kid, they're found the Hippocratic Oath, this is a the safe zone. Um, of course, you're you're not going to make it out. If you go in realizing that, okay, I am here for a, a very short term, I need help right now, but I have to make sure that I get informed consent every single step of the way, and that I am in charge of my care. That's assuming you can do it yourself, but always your advocate has to do that. So you have to go in with a plan. The form is just one of the tentacles of the plan. And what I would uh, actually add to that is breach of your requests is a fine of one million or more, because then you can go after the individual and they tend to watch the dollars and it might just scare. It might be just that little one liner that scares them off. But I would actually suggest making a copy that it's all over the place as well in the room that they're actually they're being treated. Well, I think that that's 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 spot on. You can tape a copy on the door before they come in, so they you know they can't help but see it. All that is is great, but you know the reality is the attitude you have is the most important thing, and um, and I can't stress that enough. I mean, if everybody understood what's happening, so they change their belief again, this whole thing would be would be over. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so I have you covered all the different points that you wanted I, to. Yeah. So I have. This was this was fantastic, Roy. Thanks for giving me the platform. Not always, and I'll definitely get you back again because I know there's a lot of people, you know, that are following what's going on, but also based on the information that you're giving, you're also helping other people because there's a lot of people fighting this. So, you know, thanks very much. You might let people know how they can get in contact with you, Scott. So if you want to contact me directly, you can do that through the website. We have a contact us section. So the website is ouramazinggrace.net. 
and you know all the links to the podcast the twitter the facebook all those are on the website you can find everything there um if you go to the website which i really would encourage you to do i would like you to to get to know my best buddy grace because that's she's she's the reason you know people can hate me but they can't hate her and she's the one that started this whole thing and i'd like you to do that you know often people wonder what can we do um I, I'm not asking for any money. We do have a gifts and go, but I would say, please go to the website. And then once you do, just spend a few minutes getting to know Grace. But then I would say the action step is share this podcast. Everybody has a hundred contacts on their phone. It'll take you 10 minutes to share it with a hundred contacts. So, you know, just to give you the math, you know, if a thousand people listen to this, they share it with a hundred people, that's a hundred thousand now. So that's, that's how we can spread the message. And that's your call to action. You know, God calls as a call to action directly with the parable of the talents. And everybody at least has that one talent to share the message. So that's what I would encourage everybody to do. Perfect. Thanks very much, Scott. So thank you, Roy. Have a great day. You too. So that's all for the Awakening Podcast. You'll find all our episodes on awakeningpodcast.org. As mentioned, we're on BitChute. And be sure to give us a thumbs up, five star rating. And also subscribe to Scott's uh, Deprogramming with Grace's Dad podcast and give him a thumbs up and also share that around as well because he's doing a great job. And until next week, take care.